Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Knob Newster, Missouri. And you might be saying, where is Knob Newster? I have no idea, but I think it might be near St. Louis, although it could be near St. Louis because that's the only big town I know in Missouri. In the United Kingdom, if you use the word knob, it's a pretty negative reflection on the individual that you're calling a knob. That's right. And in Missouri, if you use the word nooster, that's a doubly negative reflection. So knob nooster, these are people who are probably not proud of the city they live in. But nonetheless, we're coming to you from Knob Newster. And when I said St. Louis, it made me think, Ray, we had a chance to visit with your granddaughter, Jane, and she was sharing her St. Louis stories. She lived in St. Louis for a while. And she was sharing the fact that over Halloween, when they went out trick-or-treating, what they had to do in St. Louis was they had to tell jokes in order to get candy. Right. And so what would happen is they would go to a house, the person would show up, and they would have to tell a joke in order to receive candy. But it didn't have to be funny, but it did have to be a joke. That's right. And in fact, probably given the range of kids they had, few of them were funny. But I actually thought Jane's was pretty cute. And so we promised her a shout out and that we would share her jokes on the podcast because she listens faithfully. Well, one of the jokes was, why is six afraid of seven? I had no idea. Do you know why? Uh, I was clueless at the time, but eventually didn't we arrive at the fact that seven, eight, nine. <laughs> that is what we arrived at. That six was afraid of seven because seven, eight, nine. I thought that's cute. Junior high, but cute. And then the second joke that I was even more impressed with was where do dads store their jokes? And again, I had no idea. I knew that one though. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. What was it? It was the dad base. <laughs> So dads store their jokes in the database, which is great. So Jane, thanks for those. We really love them. Thought they were just so much fun. And it gave us a chance to connect with Knob Newster, Missouri. <laughs> yep, Jane, thank you. And Jane, I'm confident that the citizens of Knob Newster appreciates those jokes even more than we do. Hard to use the word citizens and knob nooster in the same sentence. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, anyway, on to content. Last episode, we were talking about mindful practices related to facilitation, and we ran out of time. So there were at least one or two that we wanted to explore a little further. And then what we wanted to do was move to skills. We consider facilitation skills. And one of the mindful practices that I wanted to explore was the notion of focusing on process. And boy, we have brought this up time and time again in a variety of our episodes, thinking about what's different about a person who's really focused on making the conversation go forward, or in our terms, facilitate it. And one of them is that they are not focused on content as much as they are on process. And Ray, when I say to you, a facilitator has to focus on process, what comes to your mind? What are you thinking of when you think facilitator has to focus on process? Well, I really think it's becoming at least temporarily dual-minded. You mm -hmm. need to be watching what's taking place, the interaction, 
You need to have decided who's going to speak out, who may not, who might be the big idea person here. You're, you're watching the process, the flow, the movement between people, the dynamic. But at the same time, you'd have to maintain enough contact with the theme, with the content of what people are saying, to be able to make sense out of the contributions. Hmm. So it's kind of like a dual-minded, a dual approach. But if I have to exchange one for the other, if I have to be more focused, get priority to, you have to get priority to the process because that's where you have the greatest degree of influence and you need to exert your influence on process. You know, I hear you about one, the dual focus. You can't lose touch with the content because you're facilitating the conversation and content is at the core of the conversation. But as you said, and I agree with it 100%, you, as a facilitator, have to really be aware of what's going on, what's going on in the room, as the flow of the conversation. We talked last episode about modulation, the sense of pace, how the conversation is unfolding. You really have to be aware of that, who's involved and who's not. How are the participants responding to each other? Are there ways that I can get them more engaged in asking each other questions versus making statements? So all of these things are going on that I think of as being focused on the process. And where you as a facilitator really contribute is being able to be so sensitive to those that you're able to kind of work them, if you will, that what you're trying to do is really manage the conversation, not control it, but manage it and be aware of what's really going on in meaningful ways. It strikes me that an exercise in doing that Hmm. might be for anyone to be in a small group, maybe family has gotten together, maybe friends have gotten together. And take just a moment out, sit back and watch the entire room. Mm. Watch what's taking place, who's saying what, where people are located, how they're moving in and out of conversation. And then think through where would you insert yourself to make the greatest change? That might be a really good exercise for, for people not focused on process before to just sit back and watch a group interaction that they're they're there in the room. Figure it out. Who's exerting the most influence right now? Mm. Who's disengaged? Who looks like they want to say something? And then begin to think, if I wanted to influence this, move in a direction, where would I insert my comment or where would I approach that? Who would I ask? And I'd see that as a wonderful way of thinking about how do I focus on process? And the starting point is observation. I think it's terrific that you would say to really develop your facilitation skills. One of the things you might want to do is just pick groups and sit back and be an observer of the process. How does one begin to build that up? I like that. I like that a lot. And someone might catch you at it. I mean, normally you're a pretty strong group participant. Someone might catch you laying back and watching and looking. And if they are so bold as to say, hey, what are you doing? I'm practicing a skill that I picked up on podcasts. It said, you got to be observing a process. So I was just trying to do that for a change. That's right. I'm just doing my thing. I'm, I'm getting better. Well, the other mindful practice that I was wanting to share or wanting to think through with you is one about setting up and structuring the conversation. I think so often we think of facilitation as beginning at the moment that we engage the conversation. And what I would argue is a good mindful practice for facilitators is to think about how am I going to set this up? How am I going to structure this conversation? So any thoughts on that in terms of what you do when you think about yourself as facilitating a conversation, the things you think about going into the room? I tend to, Bob, think of them in terms of ground rules. 
Hmm. What you're saying to me in setting up, I think of as the introduction. I'm going to introduce how we're going to work together and the role that I'm going to play in the process. And the way I expect or hope that they will interact gives them some frame to operate in. It also rules certain things out. If I remind them that part of the structure here is that you need to remind yourself to be less advocate and more inquirer. Mm. You need to remind yourself to ask questions, deference to making a lot of statements or opinions. So if it's that kind of ground rule, when you say setting it up and structuring it, yeah, I think of giving it a frame, giving it some ground rules, kind of putting people on notice that this is the way we're going to play this particular scenario out and ask questions. I remember now you shared an example with me several times about a situation at State Farm where you had a group of very, very high level executives who were wanting to participate in a conversation with people that reported to them and you had to introduced them in advance, uh, they were not to exercise input without your permission. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was an outstanding understanding that if these guys chose to just interact whenever it occurred to them, they would in fact end up obstructing the process rather than making a positive contribution to it. Which, by the way, they didn't respond to well at all, as you might suspect, <laughs> as executives. What? I, you're telling me I can't talk unless I get permission from you? Right. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, already that ground rule clearly was needed and important. Uh, yeah, that was a fun conversation. It was, there were certain fun ground rules. Now, I do know that ground rules and setting ground rules are a part of our skill set that we want to talk about a little later. I would even go back in terms of the mindful practice of setting up as even before the meeting begins. It's about the way the room looks. I would say almost 100% of the time, I will walk into a room that has been set up by someone else and say, this is terrible. This whole room arrangement won't work. It doesn't do what we want done. And oftentimes it's one of these where we've got this huge shaped table that we've got 30 people and the table is so long you can't hear from one end to the other. Rooms get set up, they're too small. And so you know that there's going to be some intense conversation and now we're all working in this very confined space. So one of the things that I think about is how we actually structure the conversation and what we're intending to get done. So for example, if we want people talking to one another and not focused on me as the facilitator. One of the things I would recommend is round tables versus a U-shaped arrangement. If we get people seated at round tables, it's already suggesting you're going to talk to one another at these tables. And every so often, we're going to come back to the large group. We began to use a term when we were first working on this concept of the facilitative mind, structureless structure, that there's actually a structure in place, but people are unaware of it. It's not so heavy handed or so demanding that the structure is real clear. In fact, it almost looks like there's no structure at all. But in fact, both you and I know that you really can't facilitate effectively if you don't have some structure established. So for example, met a fellow named Ray Jorgensen, who's done some really good work on leadership. And one of the things he likes to talk about is getting voices in the room. And his concept is, if you don't get everybody's voice in the room in the first five minutes, you've lost them. Now, we may agree or disagree with that, but I like the idea. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to work with that concept, how do I design something walking into the room that I immediately get people's voices in the room? One of the things I can do is at a small table or at a round table, I can set up as the very first task in the group is to get them talking about what they ought to be doing. So the concept of the voice in the room is one in which you're really promoting conversation with each other and not filtered through the facilitator. And so that becomes a part of the structuralist structure that I'm going to design things in such a way that it promotes most clearly what we want to accomplish. 
So in my mind, the concept of setting up and structuring is one in which we have thought about in advance what this room ought to look like and what's our goals, what's our purpose, and how do we get that done? When you think about things that you've done, do you react the same way or you're kind of laughing? I'm I'm laughing because when you first started commenting on this idea of structural structure, I was thinking of the invisible electric dog fences around yards. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, they can go anywhere they want, but they go near that fence and it's going to going to be alerted that, oh, I better come back to a different place. Yeah, so that was my first reaction. But I, no, I, I understand it completely and couldn't agree more. Trying to facilitate a group without some form of personal prior preparation for how best create interaction without any preparation, the likelihood of pulling it off is really much slimmer. And I'm amazed. I've worked with a lot of different training and development departments that set up workshops and things like this. And I will walk in with one of their people. And it strikes me, they haven't even thought about the room design. I mean, even as we walk in, my first reaction is, oh no, this couldn't be worse. And I start rearranging tables right away. And they're saying to me, what are you doing? And I'm thinking, well, what we've got here won't work at all. So we got to change it. They're always amazed. And I'm thinking, and yet you think of yourself as a person who does this regularly, and you'll just accept any room arrangement you're given as a way of going after this. So in my mind, the whole notion of how you set it up and the structure is very, very important. Yeah, it's part of the role. Mm -hmm. For anyone to think it's someone else's responsibility to create the environment you want to work in is really a bit foolish. Mm -hmm. You really have to give that thought in advance. Yes. Now, believe it or not, we're getting closer to time. And so we want to get to facilitation skills and at least start on that list. And so go for it. What would be some skills that you think are critical when we think of facilitation? Well, obviously, at the top of the list, first and foremost, as you put it, is listening. And just any kind of listening? No. (laughs) Very determined, skillful listening. Very determined, skillful, or active listening, as we well, say. Yes, we could throw that word in there. Yes. The idea is it's the discipline. It's yeah. not casual. It's not kind of intermittent. It's not off and on. It's listening that is you at your best, staying present, mm-hmm. picking up content, picking up emotion, picking up agendas that could have potentially stayed hidden. So your listening skills really come into play if you're going to facilitate. You know, and and the reason I say that, and I know I'm being a little facetious and over the top in terms of pushing that button, but again, I can't tell you the number of people that when they think of, I'm going to facilitate this meeting, they enter into a mindset that's very passive. See, I'm just going to let the meeting unfold itself. I'm not going to be active. I'm not going to really push and pull. I'm not going to use certain behaviors to make this conversation move forward, I'm just going to let the conversation unfold. And my first reaction is that's a death knell. No chance in the world will that conversation produce what you want to produce. And you've really, in a sense, let go of your role of being a true facilitator by not being active and intentional in it. So back to our notion of listening behaviors, of asking questions, clarifying questions. We said earlier, mindful practices, asking hard questions well, that becomes a very critical one. Paraphrasing summarizing all those behaviors that we mentioned in our listening episodes, all those become very important in being a good facilitator. In fact, as I say that, any particular behavior that in your mind could be more important than others when you think about facilitating something? Well, I think of all the listening behaviors, the one that comes to mind as the most influential in this structure is asking questions. Hmm. To me, 
goal of asking questions is more than getting information. The goal of asking questions is to create accountability. It's to shape the conversation, which direction this conversation is going in. It's the way for me to be in control without being controlling. Yes. I think of a facilitator creating the right context. It's that they're in control. Mm -hmm. So what I want is I want it to be in control, but I do not want to be controlling. Yes. We'll oppose that. Yeah. And anyone who thinks in facilitating that control is not an issue is mistaken. Control is an issue and you cannot abdicate your role as a facilitator of saying, I have to exert some control over this meeting. But the key is being in control without controlling. I love that phrase. I think you're absolutely on point with that. And so that's the secret. And so you have to learn to master that. How do I exert control without being controlling? Wonderful observation. One of the ones that I think of in terms of listening is not only asking questions, but this notion, and we've We've done it a couple times now. Last episode, we talked about checking in. Episodes before, we talked about summarizing. I think if there's one thing that I find fault with when I watch other people facilitate is they don't summarize frequently enough. They wait way too long before they decide they're going to introduce a summary of what's been said. And as a result, so much gets lost. And so my view is, in addition to asking questions, developing the skill of summarizing quickly, developing the skill of thinking, you know, every five to 10 minutes in a conversation, if we're not summarizing, we've lost stuff. It's not going to be regained in any meaningful way. So those are two that I think of. Well, um, I, think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's critical. I agree with you that in watching others facilitate, they don't do that often enough. When they do it, they probably do it okay. But like you said, they don't do it often enough. And as a result of the infrequency, there's a lot lost. And oftentimes, that will be one of the biggest disappointments at the end of a meeting is that people will think, well, I know we said a lot, but I can't remember anything we landed on. Does someone have notes or they'll go to an agenda that has been transcribed and they really won't be able to pull it back together because we've lost the moment in time? The other thing that I think about when facilitating is there are certain moments during the course of the conversation that are key moments. And if we lose those moments and think we're going to reclaim them later, we're just sadly mistaken because that's a moment in time you need to punctuate it. You need to either grab it, emphasize it. And if people agree with that, you have now helped them get to a place that they didn't realize that they all were. And so my reaction is summarizing is indeed important. The word that I hear when you say that, Bob, is I hear the word capture. That mm. listening is trying to capture things, is trying to... Not everything, because everything isn't important, but there are some things that are critically important, and unless they're captured and the whole group shares them and understands their merit, you lost a significant part of what is going to produce the results you want to produce. And here again, I think that's such a terrific observation. And to say to folks out there who say, I want to be a good facilitator, I want to facilitate meetings, one of your tasks is to capture what the group is saying, not to capture your own ideas, but to capture their ideas for them and say them out loud so it really cements what's been done. So I like that idea that to what degree am I doing a good job of capturing the essence of what this conversation is about? Well, we're at time. So maybe what we'll do is save more of the skills conversation for next episode. Appreciate this one. It's kind of fun. Spend a little bit more time on mindful practices than I thought we would, but we've got all kinds of episodes going forward. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com.
Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.